couldn't have gotten the turkey shot without stock footage. Exactly. Where am yeah. I gonna find a turkey? You should have filmed it yourself. <laughs> I know. I get a green babies. screen it's and a turkey. <laughs> when they keep the music going, then it's not funny anymore. You gotta stop the music right there. Let the joke play out. We try to get as many shots as possible. It's better to have more than less. Ow. I have folders for every genre. A lot of what you're doing is discipline. <laughs> That's so organization. Yeah. That. Imagine editing this. You have six cameras constantly rolling, three hosts with their own ideas, and you have to make sure everyone has enough screen time. It's not easy. But YB, who is the lead editor of the Try Guys, makes it look effortless. It took incredible skill for her to get there. And so we wanted to find out how YB makes her complex edits feel easy. She gives an editing breakdown on how to edit intros that hook you in. She explains how to use her secret weapon called pre-thoughts and why you shouldn't be ashamed to use stock tools to speed up your process. And she will teach you how to be an absolute master at organizing your timeline and bloody hell do I really need to learn how to do that Riverside is the best tool for video podcasts. Honestly, if you're not using Riverside for all of your virtual meetings, you're making a big mistake. I've even been using it for consultations. As soon as we're done, I get to send them the entire recording. And not to mention the recording quality is freaking it's good. Whereas other virtual meeting services can only do up to 720, Riverside can do 4K. Which is why we like to use it for podcasting. And we love it because it records each audio and video track separately so that editing is such a breeze when we get into post. Which means our editor can get started on cutting it almost immediately. And even if you or your guest has absolute garbage internet, it doesn't matter. Because remember that one time when we were in the hotel room? I mean, the call kept on jostling. I thought we lost it, but because Riverside records locally and then uploads, the call was perfect. And it's easy for the guests. They don't need to install anything. You just send them the link and you can start recording. It even says like, roll out the red carpet. It's kind of, it's kind of cool. Yeah, it makes it, me feel special. It makes me feel so special. If you're podcasting, creating video content or recording online calls, then sign up to riverside.fm for free and use code editingpodcast for 20% off. And you can find that link in the description and we'll see you back in the interview. One thing that we like to show off to our listeners is to just gas you up and show them how amazing of an editor you are. So is there a scene that we could break down that just kind of shows a little bit of your chops and some of the storytelling skills you have? Sure. Well, I mean, the biggest show on Try Guys is Without a Recipe. It's something we do every Christmas, every holiday. Um, and the most recent one that I edited is Without a Recipe Tacos, which was a very fun episode. So we can break down a scene from that. It's Without a Recipe Tacos. La, 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 la. La, la, la. The dryness is everything for me. <laughs> I've taken a tortilla making class. Well, it definitely smells like it's burning. This Before we have an intro, yeah, we really have the cold open of all the important moments, funniest moments that we could find. Just so that, you know, the audience wants to watch the whole video. I like some of those moments where it's like, here's me being really confident and immediately cuts to, I don't know what I'm doing, yeah. please help. I've <laughs> yeah. taken a tortilla making class. Well, it definitely smells like it's burning. This is wrong. Everything is wrong. I like that sort of comedy. That makes me really interested. Like, okay. There is a story about to happen here. I want to find out what's going on. And you know they're making tacos. They've introduced what they're doing in the first few seconds of the video. And we've seen the chefs. We've seen the experts. We see who's going to be the one explaining. Rosanna Pensino is obviously a very famous YouTuber. So we like to show her in the beginning and also the cast as well. Yeah. So this is a good example of the expert telling us what to do. And the guy is doing exactly the opposite or failing at it. You can see that it has a lot of elasticity as well. You want to feel almost a bit sticky to your hands, but not... Not sticking to your hand. Oh, 
come the on. music oh, switch is, is so good. <laughs> right. What I also like to do in that music is to have some like really cheerful, happy music when the chef is explaining, and when it comes to the guys when who are failing. Oh, come on. We oh, do this like this comedy not. music to really show the contrast between it. It's a great motivated cut, you know, like hey, here's a setup, and we know exactly what's about to happen, and we get rewarded for that joke as yes, well. Yeah, of course. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like funnier that way because it's so different than what just happened. If you don't see any bubbling, a and here since it's so visual, I decided to first show the bubbles. Let's test it. <laughs> now, what I think you want to happen... So I started to put this like little thing on the bottom. Yeah, because I feel like it's so visual. You kind of have to see. You might not remember how it's supposed to look like. The more unqualified you make them, the better story we get. Exactly. Just got on it and sizzled, but why isn't it burning? I want it hot. So in this video, Keith changed his burner three times. And I really wanted to point that out because when you're cooking the whole time, you do need to add some drama into it, right? Yeah. So changing a burner three times, people might not notice if you don't point it out. So mm. I really wanted to point it out by showing graphics. And you will see when he does it the second time, it's a little more obvious. He changes burner three times. Oh. Yeah. The thing is, the camera is always moving. It I'm sure you guys know it always doesn't capture everything you need to see or it's too shaky to use. So here I needed to use this shot while when he changes so the camera didn't capture it. So I had to use the same shot but different angle. To do that, I had to use a wide shot here. Yeah. The problem was I had to cut a certain someone out. There's many ways of doing that. But I did have to cover that person up with a turkey. The person I had to cut out was like right here where the turkey was. To an extent, it's also acknowledging the circumstance but then also kind of poking, poking fun towards it and still also maintaining the flow. You needed to cut to a wide. There was a limitation. Here's a creative way around it. Yeah. And cutting to a wide, we usually don't do throughout the video because we like to focus on the B-rolls. Like the camera five and six usually are the top overhead shots. Yeah. So we like to show a lot of that. And then camera three and four are usually the close-up shots of the cooking. Camera one is the wide shot. So we usually don't cut too much unless we're trying to show kind of a break in between yeah. and just to see the guys like all together in a long shot. Hands up! <laughs> A wide shot can suggest a break. A wide shot can suggest an end of a sequence. Yeah. And so if you're cutting to the wide a lot, yeah, that can be quite jarring, especially yeah. if it's the same action beat. Maintaining the close-ups, maintaining the B-roll, trying to keep us in that space as much as possible. Because even that, cutting to the wide takes us out of space as well. When I'm pulling selects before I make a sequence at all, I actually pull most of them in the wide mm -hmm. because then I can see what everyone's doing. Ah. Yeah, if I'm just on one camera on one of them, I don't know what the other person's doing. Ah. Yeah, so when I'm pulling selects, Likes, I use the wide a lot. You got to get the action. And then once you figure out, okay, what do I want to focus on? Yeah. Let's get close. You are managing multiple different personalities. And all of them have their own stories. Each of them have their own arcs, their own jokes as well. And so how do you make sure that they all have their equal experiences. What really helps is when I edit these videos, I color code all of them. I'm very big on color coding. So it's really easy to see for me in the timeline when I'm editing, like who got more time. Oh, so, yeah. you, so when you zoom out, you can go, oh, okay, Keith got the most screen time. Exactly. Okay, yeah. let, me, let, me, let me put some more Zach in. Yeah. That's a great way of tracking yeah. the multiple personalities when you can literally see the little ratios yeah. on top of that. That is definitely a challenging part, showing a story for all the guys involved because you don't want to leave someone out. Mm -hmm. And when we are cooking, especially in a lot of these cooking videos, they are very focused on their cooking. Yeah. So not all of them are good at, you know, explaining what they're doing. I would say Keith is the best at talking the whole time. Like he's very good at, you know, he would still do stuff, but he explains it very well. While Eugene tend to lean a little quiet because he's very focused on what he's making because it's so creative. And Zach is kind of in between. 
So to balance them all out, what really helps is the pre-thoughts. I'm bringing Judaism up in this. I'm making so pre-thought is what we record. It's kind of like when you watch a reality show and you cut to the interview of the person saying like, oh my God, I can't believe that happened. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we record all of those before we shoot the actual video. I pull all the selects of all the important bites, but especially when they explain what they're going to do. That way, when they're actually cooking, I can put them under the B-roll of them cooking. We're going to have some roast turkey. We're going to have Right here, what you're hearing right now is actually pre-thoughts. He wasn't saying anything to the camera. Candy. He was just making them. Those little tiny potato like matchstick potatoes that come in a can because normally on reality usually they film that stuff afterwards mm, right? right right yeah so they're like true. usually there's like beef between some they're like oh i was yeah. so mad because <laughs> yeah. freaking hayden went and like said something <laughs> and it like ticked me off and so why do you do it in, at the beginning instead of at the end that's actually interesting yeah we always do it before and that's because unlike those those reality shows we aren't the pre-thoughts aren't to kind of give reaction to what happened it's more to explain what's about to happen so that's a little bit of a difference there um, so again we don't like to show a lot of pre-thoughts while in those big reality shows they like to cut back to those scenes so they can really show their emotions but our rule is to not show that many pre-thoughts so you only use a sound bite as an underlying thing on top of a b-roll that we're gonna use so it really is like a backup yeah it's a backup, a, a backup yes. voiceover. it's a very good backup and some intro to introduce what we're doing got it you know actually we used to also record post thoughts and do like an ending summary but then we realized like retention wise and stuff people weren't interested in the summary because they've already seen the video so we stopped doing that it's past tense i think past tense language yeah. is very bad for retention whereas uh, I think that's why the pre-thoughts are good because it's future tense. It's, yeah. This is going to happen. This gives you something to look forward to. This yeah. is giving me good reasons to stay because I think that's what we're always wanting to see. Post-thoughts only work if it's like a reveal. Like if yeah. it was a transformation video and there was like a reveal at the end, then it works really well. But otherwise, you don't really need them. Post-thoughts risk uh, repeated emotions. Yeah. I felt this emotion. I'm watching this on the web. I want a new one straight away. And so repeating emotion is dangerous. And yeah. so, yeah. So give it, so yeah, the pre thoughts give that new sense of anticipation, that new emotion that you're going to give me. Yeah. Huh. That's interesting, interesting, huh? I yeah. just Super thought about that too. <laughs> yeah. Well, really I don't know. I think I would argue that I kind of like post thoughts. Yeah. You yeah. really get in somebody, inside somebody's head. Like if something went wrong, like if you're cooking the taco and yeah. like it gets burnt, yeah. then you could like have a post reaction of like, oh, it smelled like this thing. And they didn't say it maybe. But I think, but it has to escalate that moment. Yeah, it, it has to be repeat. a new reveal. That's yeah. why we have a judging section. Yeah. Exactly. And that's kind of like the post then. Yeah. yeah. Too Hot to Handle, which I think is one of my favorite <laughs> guilty pleasure shows. Oh, a lot of those have our post thoughts. A reveal happens and it cuts to like, free of their like uh, talking head moments and that does work actually I think it does work especially if like you're watching The Bachelor yeah. like and yeah. somebody cheats on somebody else and the yeah. other person's like bro that guy's such a freaking idiot like yeah. I just like and you're not gonna say that in real life yeah. but you can get inside a character's head it does give deeper context yeah that is interesting very fascinating never thought about it welcome to Jordan's brain <laughs> <laughs> so at last like minute or so or two minutes they really didn't talk mm -hmm. but what Keith did was genius in his pre-thoughts is I don't know if you guys know from TikTok, but he made a song called White People Taco Night. And he even talks about it. He says, like, um, I have a viral hit song called White People Taco Night. So then, since no one was talking, I used that music to put under it. White people taco night. <laughs> We're getting taco <laughs> shells from the grocery store. And <laughs> it's just going dramatic with it. From the grocery store. <laughs> it's motion and shredded cheese from the grocery store. And Ortega sauce. This is you just having fun in the editing exactly. so much. So, 
Okay. Way to create that into a moment. That's yeah. so good. So yeah, using a montage is definitely helpful when there's a, not a lot of sound bites. Yeah. But um, if the montage is too long, again, it can be boring. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have to balance it out. The joke was made, but uh, that can have diminishing returns quite quickly. Right. And so I think finding the best peak moment of that joke, moving on. And then montages are a great way of signaling the end of a challenge, yeah. I would say. That was a good, like, happy accident that like, he was the originator of the song, which yeah. gave you full permission to use that song. Exactly. Exactly. There's a really, really great support system in all of this. With the understanding that they might get focused, let's do some pre thoughts. You have that wide shot just in case a close up didn't happen to get it. Or oh, you need yeah. To we have breaks. a lot of cameras. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, having all of those close ups so there is never a moment missed. Yeah. And so you have the full arsenal of everything. A lot of this is the production did everything for you to make your job as creative as possible. Yeah. Like you, there wasn't many limitations and there wasn't particularly like problems that you were forced to solve. It's like you were given a lot of ammunition for you to have the full uh, control of what you wanted to be best for the video. Good production is so important. Like we have usually eight to 10 cameras running on this. Wow. And it's all multi-cam. So you can see every angle and not everything is perfect, obviously, because sometimes the camera is shaky or it's blurry or it's not capturing what the guy is doing. But most of the time we have a backup. Like we have the overhead cameras, we have the wide shots, we have the close-ups. Sometimes we even have like GoPros following the guys around. So... We try to get as many shots as possible and a lot get thrown out, of course, but it's better to have more than less. I think the multicam workflow is something that I don't see a ton of people doing Mm -hmm. as far in YouTube, as far as just like, I don't know. I think the first time I really worked on it was with Jimmy Mm -hmm. and with Mr. Beast. And most people don't have that many cameras to just throw at a moment unless it's a high production thing, especially if you're doing something that's more reality based. Like this is reality television. Yeah pretty much cut and dry you have to have those backups to be able to save your butt in the edit and sometimes the funniest moments are actually captured when they're not supposed to be filming you know when they're preparing for something or when they're like saying jokes in between and that ends up being in the video so that's kind of real right yeah (laughs) yeah, those are the real moments yeah i've 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 used that i think there was an instance i think i had with uh with the mr beast blind video they got the reactions of those who just had their vision returned okay and they stopped recording and wheeled two of the patients out, but they accidentally left one camera running and that person was waiting to be wheeled out. And there's this moment where she's like, she put on her glasses and realized she doesn't need them anymore. No cloudiness, no blurriness. Oh, it's perfect. Now, what's it like? I can see everything. I don't need these. <laughs> that was an accident. They didn't mean to film that. They accidentally left the camera recording and I made that a massive moment yeah. in that video. In reality TV, sometimes you've got to capture the real moments. Yeah, those real <laughs> definitely. Moments. Yeah. Those are the real moments. And that's yeah. why you got to watch all the footage even though... It's hard to. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, yeah. You got to go through everything. Do you like take mental notes or do you take like physical notes? Like I work on paper. Like I write everything. Oh, really? Yeah. No, no, no. I don't. I can't, my handwriting's too bad to do that. <laughs> but I just pull select. So like when I, I watch it in 2x speed so I can get through the entire footage and I just literally pull up the things I want to use. And I guess if there's things I have to remember, I make a separate sequence, like funny moments and I drop them there or so. Um, but I guess writing notes is a good idea. That's why I'm known as the post-it note guy. That's what we're oh, the post-it because yeah. it's like it, it's used to see my desk sometimes because like, I just like just post the notes there's categories I like to track uh, character, multiple personalities with a different post-it note color there was one video and again it was another Mr. Beast video and I had to track uh 15 different people playing a game of hide and seek. So I made those selects in in Premiere Pro as well. But then I also wrote down the beats that they had in their story. 
uh, on post-it notes and I had like a wall like this of just all of their narratives individually. And then it was part of it was, okay, so I've done this part of the narrative. Here's a good cliffhanger moment. Quackity did this beat, which is kind of a good yes and. Let me bring in that beat. And then I found it in Premiere and put that next to it. So I was able to see the entire narrative from all of their individuals on a macro scale. All right, I don't know if I have patience for that. <laughs> oh no, it was very mind numbing still. Yeah. But yeah, but it was a very fun way of like, being able to track like a lot of these narratives and a lot of these people's experiences as well. But that's what I mean. Like there is no right or wrong way. I think it's what plays to our strengths the most. But I think what we both do is color coding. Yes. Whether it's in the premiere or outside. So I think color coding is very important. Hello. Cheeky segue. <laughs> we just wanted to take a moment to let you know about some of our favorite products. Get funding for your content. That's it. That's what Creative Juice can offer. Juice funds have helped creators upgrade their gear, hire editors, or start the podcast they've always dreamed of. Which was amazing for us because we uh, really underestimated how expensive a podcast is. It's a lot of beans. But what's really exciting about Juice though is that you stay in total control of your content. Which is awesome because it's only you that knows exactly what you need for your channel. Juice just supports you with funding and resources. Think invoicing, expenses, income, and more. And Juice helps you with the worst part of being a creator taxes. Creative Juice is awesome because they have personalized tax prep tools where you can pay contractors, track 1099s, and categorize all your expenses automatically. All of those things you just said, I've never heard of. That sounds really scary. Juice, please help me. And we actually did just send our producer, Ashley, a W-9. All I had to do was type in her email. She fills it out and sends it back to us. We'll get a notification and boom, it's super easy. And that's great because the less time you spend doing taxes, that's more time for you to be doing what you do best. Creating. Go to the link in the description and sign up for Juice today at getjuice.com slash getfunding. We need to have a serious conversation. I need you to stop spending your entire day looking for music that actually isn't even that good. But Track Club is actually full of bloody great music. Their entire library is banger after banger and mash. We also know that audio is essential for creating an emotional world for your audience. This is why beyond having great music, Track Club has Mixlab, which allows you to use stems to customize it to your situation. For example, there's this documentary song that I really liked that sounded hopeful. But if I soloed the vocals, that sounded scary. Or I just used the mallets to create a build. And Track Club makes it super simple to avoid copyright strikes. Paste your channel's URL into Track Club and Bob's your uncle, your videos will be cleared automatically. My uncle's name's Dave. Guess what? They're offering your first month for free. So go to the link in the description and get your free month of Track Club today. Every single show has its own editing language and it has its own editing vibe and feel. And I think, you know, the Try Guys do such a fantastic job of bringing just a fun, youthful vibe to YouTube. So if you could think of maybe three tenets or practical ways that you edit a Try Guys video, what would those be? So first one that we do that might not be so traditional is we don't care about the length. It could be literally a five minute video or a 40 minute video, sometimes an hour long. If the content is good and we really want to show everything, we do show everything. While we cut a lot of stuff out too, but if it's like a really video that we think, okay, we do need to show all of this in. And sometimes that could be bad or good because YouTube likes probably shorter videos but we just like to experiment with longer things at a time like some of our documentaries are over an hour long so that's definitely um, something we like to do experiment with kind of like pitching a tv show i guess second one is we always have a cold open <laughs> it's thanksgiving oh i need deli jerk deli jerk <laughs> the cold open definitely shows like the best moments from the video another role that we do that is mainly 
I do really in my edits and we try to teach our editors as well. We don't use the same music track for longer than 30 seconds. That's what we really try to do because when we keep the same music track for longer than that, it seems to seem tedious. It gets boring. When you change music up as often as possible, not too often because then it gets chaotic, but let's say around every 30 seconds or so, then it keeps the video very engaging. <laughs> Thank you. Today, I am doing a Thanksgiving twist on a Peruvian. A nice tonal variety. Yeah. Do you ever repeat music tracks? Like, say you have a 40-minute video. Would you repeat it? Or I every single don't. 30 seconds <laughs> fresh? I try not to. But if I'm really running out of music and time, I do repeat but different parts of that song. What I do in Premiere is you can make the color so that if you color code the used music to, let's say, green, on the tracks that you're pulling from, it changes green there too. So you know what you've used already. Oh, yeah, so yeah. I do that all the time to make sure I don't repeat the same song. How quickly do you exhaust music libraries? Now, since I've been editing so long, I kind of have my own like folders. I divided them by genre, like comedy, groovy music, orchestra music, sp spooky music. And then, so I have these folders that I use a lot nowadays. I just did a video that was kind of a documentary style in New York. So I downloaded a bunch of New York style music. And so there are some songs that are video specific, but usually I have such a big library now that I've downloaded over the years that I kind of repeat them. That also maintains uh, your flow in deadlines, I would even say yeah, as well. Yeah, it helps a lot. Yeah. How often we will spend at least a full day trying to find one song. Yeah. But then maybe there could have been a song you've used two, three, five videos ago. Wait, no, that song was perfect. Great, you've now saved yourself a day. When you're searching on a music library, for example, and you're working on a project, yeah. and you're just like going at it. Do you categorize your music right when you download it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. I have folders for every genre. <laughs> A lot of what you're doing is discipline. That's and so organization yeah, of that. Oh, I have to be organized, otherwise I can't work. Like every like line has to be correct. Every color has to match up. Like my timeline has to be pretty. It's spotless editing. That's how I describe it. Yeah, I have so much respect for that. Cause see, I would have to go like finish the project, be done, go back and be like, okay, what? music did I have? Okay, <laughs> let me listen to every track again and then categorize it. Yeah, but that's more work. It is. I mean, it really is. So, I'm, I mean, I respect that. I'm in that camp where it's like, okay, I just need to find X song. I need to find X graphic. So I've got this from, I've got this X graphic and I've got this X song. It's in my downloads folder. I'll drag it into the timeline there and then oh, have no, a link to no. the download folder. I don't know. My nightmare. <laughs> but then at a point at the end of the day, then I put it into appropriate folders, but then I have to relink it the next yeah, day. Yeah, exactly. But it's, for me, it's like I'm trying to maintain in that creative thoughts. Like, oh, this is a great idea. And my, my worry is, is that if I have to do the organizational part, yeah. okay, I've got the song. Wait, what was I going to do with it? Let me give you a trick how to make this really easy without thinking too much about it. When you download something, you right click, download, and you download two. Mm -hmm. Okay? And then you already set a folder it's going to download two. So make every genre already before you start even the editing. Once you find a song, just make it directly download to that folder and you just pull it from it instead of going to download and then copying it over. Yeah. Just make a genre beforehand and make it download to that folder directly by right click downloading you know, and then pull it from there. So it's already done. And it will be faster when you actually edit because now you know where to pull instead of clicking on every single one and watching it. Yeah, no, you're right. There has been moments <laughs> where I'm like, where is that bloody... Yeah, you're right. Be like YB, guys. Be like YB. And if you ever have to, let's say, give your project to someone else to finish it, yeah. it will save their life because there's so many times I got someone else's project and then it cannot link because it's in their downloads folder yeah. and it's in their computer and I can't get it. And that happens so many times when you... Put it in downloads. I've been predominantly Final Cut for the majority of my career. 
and they do a great job as soon as you put it into the project it makes a copy in its oh, own really? folder and so everything is unorganized but it's copied into one place and so i can give someone that project file that library is what they call it but i since i've been learning premiere recently you have to have your own discipline and maintenance yeah and, and if you're on avid it's even more oh, you have to oh, be no. more organized yeah, than premiere it's like avid. crazy and i think from my experience i think digital tends to lean more towards final cut and premiere while tv is still very avid I wonder why. It's the project sharing, I think. It's project sharing. And I would say from my own observations, it's TV and traditional and film. It's it's still an older person's game. If you're in your mid, mid to late 30s and above, that's the digital uh, NLE that they were taught with because that was, I think, one of the first ones. And so if the entire industry adopted that first. Yeah, true. And so it's smart to maintain that being the industry standard. Whereas for us, we discovered digital filmmaking from like Windows Movie Maker or iMovie. Yeah. So therefore we would naturally find Premiere Pro or Final Cut. And therefore that was our, the, what our generation adopted. And so there is like these generational gaps yeah. because of it. They probably can use Final Cut. They probably can use, they definitely do use that. But if you've been using Avid for 20, 30 years, you wouldn't switch. Yeah, like, not like, switch. There's not really good enough reasons if you can do, if you can make Avid run incredibly smooth. I look at Avid once, nope, I cannot. <laughs> so, but I would, I actually would love to know. I like the aspiration of like, yeah, I can do Avid. Yeah, I can do DaVinci. Yeah, I can do Premiere. Yeah, I can do Final Cut. Yeah, I can do CapCut. Like I, I want, I like the Cap idea. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Oh no! I like. I love CapCut. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but I like the idea of. I don't think editors have to be tied down to one NLE. Absolutely. I think. Not. I, I think there is an opportunity for you to be able to be adaptable and adjustable to all of them. Maybe a, just a slight revision yeah. on depending on the project, but then just jump right into it. Well, I'm trying to learn After Effects for that exact reason. And After Effects is so hard. Yeah. But once you figure out some templates, once you download a lot of templates and work with it, you kind of start learning. I'm still learning, but there's so much you can do on After Effects that are so cool. Like all the graphics are made in After Effects. Yeah. And I think in digital, like the importance of stock footage, yeah. like I don't think people talk about that enough. Stock footage is helping so many videos, stock yeah. images. Um, there are stock templates of After Effects that you can just customize. Those yeah. things can make your videos look so much cooler. We like to be proud of like, yeah, I built this from the ground up. Kind of look how great I am. But then as part of it of you're on that deadline, uh, you have to deliver this. Or sometimes you would prefer to focus on this part of the video. And so you, it is an efficiency and that kind of, I wouldn't say swallowing pride, but more so just accepting, I need help here. Yeah. I would like a supporting thing. And so going on to uh, websites that have those templates. For years, I was so proud. Like, yeah, I've never used stock footage. Yeah. But, now, but now it's like, I use it all the time. It's like, there is a process of changing your relationship with the attitude towards it. It's an attitude shift. That's what it is. It's an attitude shift of like, yeah, this is another tool in my arsenal to maintain efficiency, hit those deadlines, but then also to elevate my creativity as well. Well, I couldn't have gotten the turkey shot without stock footage. Exactly. Where am yeah. I going to find a turkey? You should have filmed it yourself. <laughs> I know, I guess. <laughs> Start to learn animation, baby. Here we go. <laughs> I guess so. There's an assumption of like, uh, with a lot of YouTube channels, like it's like one editor or two editors. No, like there is a whole team with editing the Try Guys. Yeah. What is the structure of that team and how to make sure that everyone is like to the best of their ability? So it's really funny. When we first started, there were only really three of us. Um, 
actually no two of us there was me and Devlin were the only editors and then Will was there he was our assistant editor now he's a post-production coordinator and Devlin and I are the senior editors now so our role now is to whenever there is a new editor we kind of teach them like how to not how to edit but how the try guys edit works because every youtuber's edit is different so even if they're super experienced in like tv or something mm -hmm. try guys edit is so different so we show them kind of example videos we start with easy videos like taste tests because they're pretty straightforward before we throw them into a harder video we're still trying to figure out a way to teach all the editors how to edit big videos like without a recipe we're starting something called phoning it in a few episodes came out already and i'm just learning it and it's so challenging but it's so fun i think also the teaching is definitely something that we've, we've both struggled with as well you develop that editing language yeah. you know what it is you know instinctually what it is but it's sometimes incredibly different to verbalize. Right. It's like until, let's just say, you see an editor that you're training, you see the edit and you went, okay, now I know what's missing here. Yeah, you just have to make them watch a bunch of videos, like give them examples so they can kind of follow through. And then we make them kind of have a rough cut, right? We give them raw footage and say, okay, put this together. Let's an easy one, like a taste test. Mm -hmm. And then we see if the jokes are landing. That's the most important part. If they can get the jokes to land because... They are making jokes all the time, but it needs to work in an edit. Like you have to know when to cut the music out. You have to know when to put a graphics in so that it looks funnier. You have to balance the guy out to make sure not one guy is getting more screen time than the other. So we watch for all these things and try to give notes on those. And once they can handle all of those, then we can move on to a more difficult video. What's the most common note you give to somebody when the joke's not landing? To end music. Yeah. A lot of times when they keep the music going, then it's not funny anymore. You gotta stop the music right there, let the joke play out, and then start a new track. You cannot keep the song going. Now we got a bunch oh. of chicken carcasses. Oh, it really smells like turkey. It shouldn't. That rotisserie chicken. <laughs> All birds are the same to Rachel. Why is cutting a music funny? I think it's that awkward silence again. It's more of a reaction. Or even people are laughing. Mm -hmm. If there's just no music, cut, like a hard cut to not a fade out, hard cut when the joke is played, then it just makes everything kind of explode like yeah. either laughter or that awkward silence has elevated you cannot restart that song again you have to add, add a new music yeah. yeah it's like taking away an element brings focus towards that yeah joke. sometimes bad jokes are the funniest <laughs> because it's awkward after it's, it's more about the reaction yeah when a try guys video is filmed and then handed off to you guys what is the process of getting it towards publish so we have an assistant editor who will kind of sync the footage for us with all the audio sometimes they nest them to multicam we always have multicam so that's always nested and and then it gets put into the server where we download it because we all work from home now since the pandemic which is very nice so we download all the footage download and we have a folder structure of like you know projects footage audio all that stuff so it's all organized for you already so I open the project and make a selects folder or select sequence and all the multicam that are made I name them so this is the pre-interview that's the cooking that's the judging so I divide them each by section and then I pull the selects I make the edit. I send out the first cut. Usually the first cut is due depending on how big the video is. Like short videos is due in four days. Bigger videos, it could do six to eight days. So you send them out. The guys, whoever's the lead on the video, they give notes. So we upload on Frame.io, which is a very good program for giving notes. Yeah, so they give notes. We do the notes while finishing the video. So usually cut one is only halfway through the video. Like I never get to actually finishing the whole video. Yeah, so cut one about halfway. I get the notes. I fix those notes. And by cut two, I have 
usually the full cut. Um, so that's called the fine cut. And then for the fine cut, we get more notes. And then we have a lock cut, which is the final cut. All notes done, locked. And then once it's locked, I put it back on the server. And Will, our post-production coordinator, and MJ, our assistant editor, they download the project and everything. They color it. They sound mix it. Sometimes we send it off to someone to do those things if it's a bigger project. And once that's done, they QC it, which means they put it on frame for everyone in the company who has time to watch it. And during the QC, we catch a lot of mistakes like, oh, the graphics actually not showing there. The audio level is too high there. We're not supposed to show that. All these things we fixed in the QC and then it goes up on YouTube. Even if it's a QC, is there have been instances where it's like someone's pointed out an interesting note that potentially requires like an overhaul of the edit? Usually not at the QC stage, yeah. but there's definitely times when it's a lock cut and then suddenly there's a structural change. And that usually we have to work with scheduling to be like, okay, well, then we need more time. And the editor usually then takes it back and adds those notes. Or if the note's not that hard and the assistant editor is like, take care of it. Um, but usually by the time it's QC, we don't make huge changes because it's usually due the next day. There's a schedule. You guys are probably already running on to the next video as well. The entire company gets pushed back yeah. if to an extent. It's the pros and the cons of like, what can we gain by an overhaul versus, hey, okay, like, yeah, this, this might be a bit of a mistake, but if it's going to remain another 15 days on this edit, we can't afford this. Let's just accept that unfortunate mistake. Yeah. Depending on how passionate someone's about the project, you know, if they really want it to be perfect and, yeah. and if the schedule allows, we will change everything to make it work. But if it's not that big of a project or audience won't even notice, then we got to make the hard decision to be like, okay, it's going out tomorrow. I'm actually really curious how you got started editing and that whole story. I always wanted to be kind of a writer. I was always creative. That's what I knew about myself. And in high school, I took a video production class just for fun because I had to take an elective class and I ended up falling in love with it because it was kind of like writing but more visual um, and that's when I learned Final Cut and I was like okay well editing is kind of like writing you're like writing the story you're creative so I really liked it and then when I was applying to college I was like because I'm you know coming from strict Asian household yeah. we knew that film school is not the most stable right yeah. a film career is not you know guaranteed it's like being an artist so I said okay I'm only gonna do editing if I get into the best film school and then otherwise I'm gonna do I applied to pharmacy schools so I applied to literally like five pharmacy and five film schools yeah and then I actually first got into the pharmacy schools before I heard back from any film schools so I was ready to do a pharmacy you know I was like okay I'm gonna study science and be a pharmacist and I was like literally ready to do that and then um I got an acceptance letter from USC. So I was like, oh my God, I guess it's a dream come true. Yeah. yeah. So a then, life path moment. Yeah. You literally had the two roads you exactly. could have taken. Yeah. So that really changed a big thing for me, like getting into USC because um, once I got in, I learned so much about everything, directing, editing, producing. But towards the end of the last two years of USC film school, you do have to choose two things you want to focus on. And for me, it was directing and editing. And I liked editing more just because I had more control and like I could really like put a story to together and I could really sit there for 11 hours just editing something while everyone else was like that's so boring so I got really into editing learned Avid there and then once I graduated when I was looking for jobs um, I started out as an intern at BuzzFeed and actually at that time the internship was only to become a producer so there was no editing internship there um, because even now a lot of people do editing like outside the house they hire freelancers and stuff so they have some in-house editors but not many but then I asked my supervisor okay could I actually become an 
an editor this way because I like editing. So they created a different program for me. Ah. Yeah, which was really cool. So instead of becoming a producer, I actually went the editor way. Um, so I kept going that way, started editing there, started editing for the Try Guys, Ladylike, Worth It, all the big shows on BuzzFeed. I edited those. And then once Try Guys left, I still was at BuzzFeed for a while. But um, Keith, actually, this is a funny story. Keith posted on Facebook, like, we're looking for editors. And I commented as a joke. Like, <laughs> like it was a joke. I wasn't trying to leave BuzzFeed. I was like, um, I'm down. <laughs> but then he then messaged me. He was like, are you really down? Because we would love to have you. And I was like, oh, really? <laughs> so then we talked separately. Yeah, and then I ended up going there. But it was a joke when I commented. <laughs> like, I didn't mean to. It's always the innocent moments. The moments yeah. we, we, like, we don't give too much thought and suddenly a whole new life path yeah. starts. Yeah. And then that's how I started editing at Try Guys. One of the things I do really appreciate about the Try Guys is it actually has a great mix of traditional media language mm. and also the modern language that YouTube has been developing as well. Yeah. And I think it's also because of that, it's also part of the that generational transition as well, where I think a lot of you guys had the traditional yeah. uh, training, but then used YouTube and went, hey, we can probably start making our own rules here. Yeah. So like, how would you describe that mix of the Try Guys content? So I really learned a lot from BuzzFeed, being at BuzzFeed, because, you know, back in the days, BuzzFeed used to have crazy viral videos, like 50 million for like these big videos. Um, so when I was there, I learned really like how to make a video viral. And it's not easy. Like it's a very hard thing to do. But edit wise, what you need to learn is to like put specific moments together that make a video viral how to show it all in the first few seconds all that stuff so I carried that along when I was um, going to Try Guys what's great about Try Guys is that they do a bunch of different styles of videos so they would do a vlog style video but they would also do a documentary they would do a cooking show they would sometimes do even a scripted video so then like I got to learn these different styles and because of that I think we were able to touch a lot of different crowd like we did a video about moms that would, that would talk to all the moms out there then we would do a video that was about sports so then like all the sports fans get to do so I think just since they're try guys you know they yeah. they try different stuff so I think that was our what really helped just our having not a specific genre even though most are comedy that we're trying different types of videos having different activities all the time that, yeah. that was the what helped you get to try a new concept every yeah. single video yeah, it's like try guys-ception yeah, yeah. We'll it's like a it, deeper level of trying things yeah. <laughs> it gives, gives a great opportunity for genre variety yeah they That's could do anything yeah what I like about that is also with with maybe some traditional they would probably have to make an entire season out of it yes, yes whereas yeah. if you guys it's like here's a try guys concept we'll just make a 20 minute video let's make a 40 minute video yeah. and then you get to an extent literally go make another season on a new subject and so like, I think that's a really great mix between, I say, that traditional space and I say, this new space. And you get to just jump between all those genres so often. And I think the series, we started recently to make things into a series because we figured out what's working and what's not. So usually they would like make like a pilot and you can't tell if it's going to be a series or not. But then if it performs well, if people like it, then it ends up becoming a series. Without a recipe, again, it's like the most popular one and we've been pretty consistent with it. I think we figured out it performs better when it's just at the end of the year. So yeah. then we switched to that and now we're trying phoning it in we've done without instructions we're trying to branch out different series to see what works that is a traditional discipline making a pile about something see if it sticks and great this this works this can't make it let's make a whole show about it and zach likes to do these like fun videos here and there that are just creative and passion projects and that doesn't need any follow-up episodes it's just for fun and those are fun to edit because it's a whole different genre of its own if you could say anything you know just giving some advice to the next generation of editors, editors. coming up 
Okay. What would you say to them? I think a lot of people think editing is very boring and tedious and long, and you need a lot of patience for it. And it could be all true, but I think you just need to find the right project because once you find a project you're passionate about, I mean, it's like writing a story or like reading a book that you're really into. You get really into it, and the best way to learn it is just to start doing it. Like. Just start editing. Just find a program and just start practicing editing, putting it together, and you'll be surprised how quickly you can learn your own way. Like everyone has their own way of editing, and you'll develop your own style. And once you start doing it, and you'll actually enjoy the process. Again, there I still have projects where I get bored yeah. because it's not fun. It's not gonna be always fun, but there will be a project that you're so passionate about that you realize, okay, this is why I love editing oh. because yeah. it's so fun to put it together. And you are the storyteller in that case. For me personally. This was a bit of a full circle moment. Yeah, it was. Because when I first started dabbling on wanting to talk about editing, is when I got connected with you, and I wanted us to do like an edit breakdown. You invited me to the office, and I came in. I want to talk to you guys about your processes as in production, post production, working yourselves as a team. How you guys working with creatively? And put it simply, I was not prepared. So he was good. I didn't think you were not prepared. But we had, long story short, what was meant to be a two-hour shoot. I think it ended up being five hours. Yeah. Oh no! Oh no! And it was like in their office, they're still getting their work done, and we and we like took their filming studio as well. And it was like. <laughs> So it, there was there was quite an embarrassing moment. And then for me, I was still really nervous. I'm still developing like my on-screen social skills, I guess, as well. And so it, this is a nice moment for me because it's like, yeah, yeah, I've improved. We've we've all grown up a little bit more. And it's just like, hey, I feel confident that we can talk about editing and I won't be a nervous wreck this time. Redemption. Redemption. <laughs> <laughs> I love this.